Hi, I'm Juliet. And I'm Theo. What's shaking, Bacon? <laughs> Apologies accepted. And we're this week's guests on Metapod. You're listening to Metapod, where we unpack the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. Hosted by Wendy Morrill and Kevin May. Welcome to Metapod. I'm Kevin. And I'm Wendy, your favorite hosts unpacking the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. Let's get right to it. Okay, that's right, Wendy. This week on Metapod, we talk to Juliet and Theo from the Apologies Accepted podcast. Their show offers an entertaining look at history by examining public apologies, the famous and infamous. Juliet and Theo discuss, dissect, and rate apologies of recent and historical significance, from Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky to Billie Eilish and DaBaby, to the Golden State Killer and even the Pope. Yes, indeed. So, apologies accepted is honest and open for debate. Those who don't shy away from firm opinions and enjoy a bit of light-hearted, informal cultural critique will appreciate Theo and Juliet's discussions. So let's find out who's sorry now, Wendy. All right, let's start the tape. Juliet and Theo of Apologies Accepted, welcome to Metapod. Thank you. Thank you. We're thrilled to be here. Good. So you co-host a show that offers, and I'm quoting here, an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies by the famous and infamous. Could we start off by hearing from you how you'd characterize the show, just very briefly? Is this a history show? Is it a gossip show? Is it educational? Is it all of those? Is it something else? I think we think of it, and Theo, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I think we think of it as a comedy show, and we're not really that funny, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Which is funny in itself. (laughs) The funniest part of the the comedy show is that we're not funny. But it's really a lighthearted look at at history and apologies, and we really do it. um, We enjoy podcasting and we enjoy apologies, talking about apologies. And and really uh, the way it started was as a way for us to keep in touch with each other and enjoy each other's company. So it's for us just as much as for anyone else. So why should I want or even care about an apology? That's a good question. What a great Um, question. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had that question. Uh, It's important to apologize appropriately so that your apology can be accepted. Um, If you're making an apology at all, you should want it to be impactful to the person who receives it and accepted by the person who receives it. And we've broken down apologies into a couple of of aspects that uh, it takes to have your apology accepted by the person who hears it. And one of those things is sincerity. Another one of those things is that the person making the apology actually acknowledges the harm that may have been done and things like that. So Theo, what are your thoughts? I think the thing for me around apologies is it allows people an opportunity to recover from a social misstep or interpersonal relationship uh, problem. And and I don't want to make it seem like our show is a self-help show because that's really not what we do. That's Um, true. Yeah. So we don't talk to people about why they should apologize or 
the meaning of apologies in general. What we do is we look at um, somebody who's made a public apology. We look at the culture and the situation around that apology, and then we rate that apology and we use some criteria that Juliet developed, which uh, part of that involves not only something subjective like level of sincerity, but then also something that's actionable. And that is, and I'm forgetting the word, it starts with an R. I'm not sure what you're trying to say. So it's hard for me Remorse? to guess what your word is. <laughs> Remorse is one thing. <laughs> um, reparations kind of in that. Reparations in that, is good. Uh, yeah. So reparations, right? So that it's just more than words for us. A really stellar apology is not only. Responsibility. Maybe even that's the word, <laughs> right? Um, here starts the comedy, you guys. So that's right. This is um, where we're so funny. But we we decided we that Theo and I first off have known each other for a thousand years. We went to high school together in North Carolina, um, which is embarrassing to both of us that we ever lived in North Carolina. No <laughs> offense, North Carolinians, <laughs> but we know what and it's that like. It was a thousand years ago, <laughs> and it was a thousand years ago. Two. So it's changed quite a bit since we were there. When I first moved to North Carolina, they were still doing the Hog Report in the morning on the news. So oh, I don't think they do that, that anymore. <laughs> But anyway, we've known each other for a hundred years. She's one of those people that I can say anything to. And I know he does. she will help me bury the bodies and not even question, <laughs> like, why did they deserve to? It would only be this person deserved to die. I'm glad you murdered them. <laughs> uh, no, we're beyond apologies at this point. <laughs> it would neither help nor harm. <laughs> do, do you have a working definition of apology for the show? We'd like to look for where someone actually said, I'm sorry. I think that's a key aspect of an apology is, is that I'm sorry, or please forgive me. Um, that's not always, that doesn't always happen. We've done some, some non-apologies. For example, we did uh, the Pope who refused to apologize for the um, Canadian, uh, the, the graves that were found of the children in the, uh, the indigenous children in residential schools. So there was no apology there. And we thought that was egregious enough that we would do an episode about it since it was so bad. So uh, anything touching the idea of an apology that's notable to us, we'll, we'll certainly consider doing an episode about. Yeah, sometimes an apology is implied. A person may not say, I'm sorry, or I apologize, but they may say something along the lines of, that situation that occurred was rather horrible. And okay, that's going to open a door for us. We're going to consider that an implied apology. We've done a lot of bad apologies too. So the uh, baby was one where he didn't want to apologize because he was speaking his own truth. And the uh, Golden State Killer was another one. And he basically said, I listened to what you had to say and I'm sorry, but he only did it in the context of his trial, trying to get out of uh, uh, judgment, serious judgment. So uh, anything, like I said, that touches an apology is, is game for us. Are there things you'd like listeners to feel or do upon listening to your analysis of these historical apologies? Send us money. <laughs> yeah, I'd like people to have a good time listening to the podcast. And I'd also like people to be a, a little bit aware of what makes a good apology. I think we don't, always, my, my husband, who is our producer and engineer, is always reminding me that uh, he thinks I should spend, we should spend more time talking about the apology itself and rating the apology, which sometimes we give short shrift because we get so interested in the history of the, of the situation that, that we end up almost running out of time. Well, yeah, I would say, you know, uh, rating an apology is such a subjective thing. And to Juliet's point, 
um, what we would love for people to get from the show, two things. One, we would love for them to see that we're all human. We all make mistakes. We have a segment on our show called Who is Sorry Now? And in that, uh, which comes at the end of the show, we talk about apologies that we would like to make or apologies that we feel we are deserving of, yeah, right? Yours are um, often happening at Trader Joe's, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. great, if I'm allowed to say. He does go to yeah. Trader Joe's a lot. <laughs> we, I do. I'm a fan. Uh, Want to be hipster. Um, and so we want people to walk away from the show with an understanding that everybody makes mistakes and everybody's entitled to redemption. And then how and when and where that happens, just it's individual. It happens on a, on a personal level. But I'd also say the other thing we want people to walk away from the show with is the sense of, I don't want to say community because that's really not it, but more like, oh, there are like-minded people out there who think about things the way that I think about things. Yeah, we're super, ways. super left-wing. So I think we, uh, yeah. we we looked at our ratings on, I don't know what was Pandora or somewhere the other day, and, and uh, we found out we have almost equal amounts of thumbs up and thumbs down. And I think it's because we're so left-wing, we tend to push people in one direction or another. They feel either feel really strongly about us or... or um, really hate us or really like us because of that. And we, we like to talk about the issues that we faced as um, Theo, as a, as a gay man and, and me as a woman in society, uh, along with the apologies. So I, I think that uh, may narrow our audience somewhat, but it's worth it to us to be that sort of voice in potentially the wilderness of, we imagine some tiny town in the middle of nowhere. Let me just ask, if I might just jump in there a second, Julia, that's interesting that you said you've got, you know, equal amount of thumbs up and thumbs down. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's because of, as you said, your own political beliefs, or do you think people are actually polarized on the subjects that you're, that you've been debating? That's a good question. I'm going to say that it's, it feels to me like our political views. Unfortunately, we just get that thumbs up or that thumbs down and no indication of which show it was that triggered a response or which yeah. segment of the show triggered okay. a response. But to Juliet's point, we are very um, liberal. We're very left-wing and we're very free with our opinions. Um, and I'm sure you've heard that America just came through a really rough <laughs> time politically. We're not through yet. Still on a very bumpy road. And so we have things to say about that. And a lot of our, uh, actually all of our thumbs down come from small towns and where I, we're supposed to be the voice of the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we have also been accused of having potty mouths. So uh, well, there's that. And that's true too. We swear a lot. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. So to go back to something that you said, Theo, um, about maybe seeking redemption, what's the, um, if we're allowed to ask, and if you can keep it for a family audience, of course, sure. what's the, uh, what's the worst thing you've had to apologize for? And Juliet, the same question to you. Ooh, what a great question. The worst thing I've had to apologize for. 
I think the um, worst thing I've had to apologize for has been when I was in a situation with a friend of mine in which I, I sort of intimidated her into doing something I wanted her to do in a sense, which um, was is really my the low point, one of the one of the biggest regrets of my life. And I didn't do it by threatening her or anything. I just sort of looked at her in a certain way that she knew what it meant. <laughs> and she uh, went on and, you know, went back into her her apartment, turned turned her back on me as was appropriate. But um, that's probably the thing I'm most ashamed of. They, I have so yeah. many. I'm running through the catalog of all the horrible things I've ever done, trying to see like which is the worst. Well, you um, can always tell a story about the bar. But see, I think that's funny. Um, <laughs> well, that would be great in comparison to the story liquor. I just told. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say that would be the worst thing I did. For me, the worst thing that I do that I need to apologize for would be when I really hurt somebody's feelings at a deeply personal level. Um, and it's always unintentional, yeah. but I get so wrapped up in my own day-to-day -day life that I never stop and think about what I might've just said off the cuff, how that might be received by somebody. And so the one that's coming immediately to mind, uh, I got very drunk at a friend's wedding and I accused uh, one of their guests of murder. <laughs> That was I'm sorry I laughed. <laughs> I'm glad you okay. laughed. Okay. Sounds like a podcast. It does. We'll have to talk about that in the next one. Do we uh, do we no. have to do we have to assume that this was a, a wholly unfounded accusation? Or had you <laughs> or had you done yes. some incredible sleuthing and this was your kind of Agatha Agatha Christie moment and you were kind of laying it all out for the guests? We'll never know. It just looked like a murderer to me. Um, <laughs> oh well, well, that's all right then. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I would say that's that's the one that comes immediately to mind where it's like, wow, I owe the bride an apology and the groom an apology. And yeah, I will say it was a it was a learning moment. Nobody has been accused of murder since. Yeah, one thing that we've learned in doing this podcast is that everybody has something in their history that they're sorry about, um, whether it's Billie Eilish um, doing things that could be perceived as racist or even, you know, more recently in, the, in their adult lives, people like Kanye West uh, and Taylor Swift. Um, everybody's got something that they're sorry for. And hopefully we grow out of it as we get older and understand a little bit more and, and our brains mature a little bit. But uh yeah, I think everyone's got something to be to be sorry for, which is good for our podcast because we've got always got something to talk about. There's plenty of material, and there's um, plenty of material in our own lives. Yes, yes. Does that does that mean, therefore, then that time is not a healer? That you should always be apologizing for something? That is such a great question slash point. Um, I'm going to say that I've noticed within the American culture a real rush to judgment and people are not willing to forget or forgive. So uh -huh. if you've made a mistake publicly and you come forward and you apologize, uh, that moment lives forever on the internet and in Twitter and people will never drop it. Never, ever, I think, ever. I think it never hurts to apologize. And what you have done that you feel bad about maybe uh, may be forgotten by the person that you did it to or with, but it, it's never a bad idea to go ahead and say, I'm sorry that this thing happened, you know, in our youth. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know that I think that's a, a good um, intimacy building and, and friendship building move. So that, that means therefore the person or the organization or the group of people or 
whatever that may be being apologized to it's Mm -hmm. then up to them to say you know what we forgive you because this was decades ago would that be fair i think so theo what do you think I think so. I think within that, you need to see some action on the part of the person who's done the apologizing. And so Mm -hmm. we'll use DaBaby as an excuse, who's an American rap star um, and has worked with pretty much everybody in the music industry. Uh, And he made some homophobic comments just kind of out of the blue in the middle of one of his shows. And he apologized for it. But there was a lot of, um, hey, I'm sorry that I feel this way, but it's the way that I feel. And some of the uh, communities that took offense have been very um, vocal about how strongly they feel about what happened. And he came forward and he met with uh, nine different organizations all at the same time uh, and leaders of various organizations to hear their stories and understand how what he said impacted them and how that endangers uh, people's lives on the street and cool, but that's kind of been it. And so I think on one hand, it's awesome that he went forward and he met with leaders of a community that cannot have been a comfortable meeting for him, but at the same time, maybe a little bit more, you know, maybe an album with somebody who's um, queer and launching their career. Maybe, you know, I I don't want to make it about money, like, oh, make a donation to some cause, but, you know, build a house for some people. I (laughs) I don't know what that action would be. That's Yeah, build a house for some people. There you go. The answer to everything. (laughs) Houses for everybody. Thanks. Free groceries at Trader Joe's for everyone. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I am buying every album he ever puts out if he does that for me. So, you know, I am an American living abroad for over 10 years now, and I will say that I probably live under a large cultural rock because often I don't know some of the folks you talk about (laughs) on the show, like DaBaby, I will admit. How do apologies differ in different countries or, or cultures? I mean, you have various cultures within the U.S., of course. Have you looked at this? Have I just not found those episodes yet? They don't really exist. Um, our show so far yeah. has been very U.S.-centric, and not because we're not aware of other countries, right? Yeah, it's something we want to look at more as we go forward. I think um, one of the reasons, and this is a, a technical reason, that um, we're focused so much on the U.S. is that one of the ways we find topics to discuss is that I actually just go on to Google and do a search uh, in Google News to see if there have been any recent apologies. And that naturally brings me back with U.S.-centric responses. So I'm trying to work around that, trying to trick Google into thinking I live somewhere else to get um, different uh, different news stories. Uh, but so far, I haven't quite figured that out. <laughs> I, I would say we had a conversation once about doing an apology made by uh jerry i forget his last name with the ira and oh god can't do that exactly that was too much that was the response it was like wow did you know the leader of Sinn fein apologized for uh the terrorist activities that would be an amazing thing for us to do and julie and i both have irish ancestry so it felt like 
okay, kind of fair. Um, I'm uncomfortable even thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, Somebody quickly brought me to my senses. (laughs) That's an interesting, it's an interesting one that you bring up there. Um, Just because uh, Jerry Adams, for those that perhaps don't know Jerry's surname that are listening, um, you know, Yes, he was a, um, a a well-known figure in the Irish Republican Army throughout the 70s and the 80s, but in the eyes of some, he did redeem himself with the Good Friday Agreement and was one of the people that pulled together that, that particular thing in 1997, I believe it was. So some may say that he has got to that point where he has flipped his own reputation to become a peacemaker rather than a, uh, a peace destroyer. So... I, I, I'm interested in your dynamic there that you were mentioning about that you, you wouldn't do something well, on Jerry. Well, for me, of, it would be like, do, no, I hear you. Sorry, Kevin, I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, it, it would be for me like doing something that was um, that surrounded the uh, events in Israel and Palestine. It's just so right. complicated and so, um, so lengthy that we would not be able to do it uh, service. And we would probably end up annoying a lot of people just out of our own ignorance. Uh, Yeah, that I think for sure is the thing that holds us back from delving into international apologies. Not that the rest of the world doesn't have interesting social structures, but we would come in and we would make dumb jokes and we wouldn't know enough about the culture to really have anything. I'd be on that episode. (laughs) (laughs) You're invited. (laughs) Well, I mean, if I'm allowed to say, I just, I live in a culture where I feel that people, um, don't apologize for the same types and number of things that they do in the U.S. They're just little things, but they are quite different. And then it's funny how they lead to a bigger behavioral tendency, I think. my Half of my family is British. My in-laws are Scottish. And one of the things that I notice as an American when I go to Britain is that people use the word sorry like a comma. Sorry, pardon. Sorry. Good morning. Sorry. Right. Everybody. It's sorry. Sorry. And it's not that the word loses any value. It's just sometimes they're apologizing or using the word in a situation where I w- it wouldn't even occur to me to use it. And it just strikes me as so overly polite. Um, and so, which isn't a, a trait that I suffer from. I have not overly polite. Um, and so I wonder if that's just the Dutch are more that level. I think there's an assumption that people are entitled to the same space or to make the same mistakes. And you might acknowledge it, but then you move on. And that's it. You don't carry a lot of baggage around. I'm, that's healthy. I wonder if I'm that's really true. <laughs> or if there are a lot of hurt people walking around the Netherlands. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you, you two do a lot of research for your episodes. And I'm curious if you've ever been called on any of that research or maybe an opinion. And if you apologized for an, <laughs> er- an error or omission or something that you felt warranted an, an apology Again, or correction. what a great question. Um, we're, so. we're ready to apologize for anything at the drop of a hat. We feel like we, we're experts at it now. We know how to do it and we'll apologize for anything. But I don't think anyone has ever uh, made a complaint to us about our uh, episodes or, or asked for uh, clarification or apology. 
Well, I'll say our producer slash our co-husband has um, <laughs> pointed out a couple of factual errors or things that weren't quite clear. So one of the running jokes in our show is that Julian, Juliet and I are always right. Um, even when we're wrong, we're right. And so mm -hmm. we have a segment that we call Even Writer, which is where we get to go back and say, hey, you know when I said the moon was made out of green cheese? <laughs> Good well, point. It turns out that, so I'm Even Writer, right? Um, and again, it's sort of that self-deprecating humor where we're making fun of ourselves and acknowledging that we're both really hard people to live with because and the key mistake right. we made was surrounding liza minnelli oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, i think we, we said theo said that that uh, liza minnelli was in what movie was it and it was actually Gene Harland, and we decided that it was you're, you're hurting my gay street cred here <laughs> i'm sorry I'm supposed to just know these things and <laughs> i said liza minnelli was in some movie that like judy garland was in her mother or whatever and so we made up this joke where liza minnelli judy garland and barbara streisand are all interchangeable because they're like three <laughs> older gay icons and so we just kind of like we'll drop out you know one name and substitute it with another yeah yeah they'll be coming for my gay card next week now that you've confessed that publicly i think there are a lot of reasons for that <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if you know as as society has got used to things such as social media twitter especially i suppose whether there is a a, a tendency for there to be a rush to apologize just because the immediacy of information is is so much more than it was say 15 20 years ago and then that puts pressure on someone to perhaps apologize for something before they've had a chance to think it through kathy griffin i throw her up as a mm -hmm. prime example of that type of a situation she's a comedian who does challenging edgy work mm -hmm. and she's also the woman who held up the trump mask and and there was a huge the bloody blowout. trump head yeah 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 and she apologized within minutes of finding out how furious people were about that. And I, if I had been her PR manager, I might have said, you know, let's just sit on this for a little while because yeah. it's comedy. And in comedy, you don't ever really apologize um, when you're making a joke. But uh, so, yeah, I, I would say that what I'm noticing now is particularly after Billie Eilish, and it, it's probably just because I'm I'm more on the lookout for it, is pop stars apologizing for words they've used on stage. There's some girl, I've never heard of her before. I have no idea who she is. She um, was, I'm going to use quotes around this. She was caught on film by somebody filming her with their camera, um, singing a song, and she mouthed a racial slur. Right. Mm -hmm. So she apologized on Twitter for for mouthing this word. And I don't know what the word was um, and I hadn't heard of it at all. But until she apologized for it. So there wasn't even an outcry. Mm. And she, she was just trying first. to get ahead of it. So they're getting ahead of the criticism, even though there may actually not be any in the first place. Exactly. Um, and I mean, hey, she got her name out there. Um, I, I wasn't troubled enough by it to find out more about it and that's an apology that you know maybe we could use at some future point and right um 
but it, it just didn't feel newsworthy. Okay. So I suppose a, a logical follow-up really is that does social media amplify the need for an apology because, you know, Twitter or Instagram or whatever the, the, the channel by which people have been outraged is only a tiny subset of everybody. And so, yes. you know, everything gets amplified. So you feel the need to apologize and then the apology gets amplified and then it becomes a big story in the mainstream media. And then something seemingly may have gotten out of control when perhaps it didn't really need to in the first place. That's I think exactly. there's some truth to that. I, I'm going to say, on the other hand, um, just to play devil's advocate, if, if your uh-huh. offense is going to reach more people, then you may need to apologize to more people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I will say Twitter is definitely driving a lot of apologies. And it's because um, a lot of news journalists in the States and a lot of editors in the States go into Twitter to see what people are outraged about because that's a story they're going to get on their <laughs> website for the day, right? Because they want the clicks and they need the eyes. Yeah. And so Twitter outrage fuels a lot of American news now. Um, and yeah, it does. during the end of the Trump administration, I was I only got my news off of Twitter because it was just happening so fast that it could mm. only Twitter could keep up with it. Um, happily, things have calmed down, and I've gone back to Google News and the New York Times and TikTok. <laughs> TikTok, the reliable source of breaking news. TikTok. Is do you think people ever believe politicians when they apologize? Because certainly I don't. Because it's 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 often said in the same vein as when a politician says, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And you just think your thoughts aren't even there and you don't even pray. So and right. I just wonder whether that extends to politicians apologizing. They just don't seem whatever side of the aisle they're on. Apologies think, from politicians, I think, just never sound sincere whatsoever. Would you agree? I agree. And I think part of the reason for that is that they rarely take responsibility. And I think that's because they're advised not to by their handlers. Um, but I yeah. think taking responsibility for something that you've done is a key aspect of, of an apology. And, and without it, there is no true apology. Which therefore makes those apologies very shallow and nobody ever believes them. So why even make them it's it's still something you have to do but it seems odd doesn't it you still have to do it even though no one's going to believe you you have to make that gesture perhaps it's just better than nothing yeah the apology itself becomes a tool to use for political gain and that just devalues the apology uh that a politician makes yeah we've covered um bill clinton and there was a congressman from florida oh yeah i forget his name too Oh, I remember his name, Ted Yoho. Because oh, Ted Yoho. For international listeners, there's a song that's like "Yo Ho Ho" and a bottle of rum. Um, and so he said he said something to a congresswoman as he was walking away. He called her a name, uh, a very foul name, mm-hmm. and she tweeted about it. And he apologized for what she misheard. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and that was an opportunity for him to use his apology to appeal to his base because he was right wing. She was left wing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, I'll say most politician, most political apologies 
um, serve a purpose, and that purpose is the promotion of the politician, the person who's making the apology. And really, the apology, when you make an apology, it shouldn't be about you. It should be about the person you're apologizing to. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, I suppose. Uh, yeah. while, we're, while we're on the subject of uh, you know social media platforms and things like that, if there is one thing that you can identify, I imagine there might be many, but do you think there is one thing that Facebook should apologize for? Existing. Oh everything other than existing. <laughs> Facebook, everything. So Zuckerberg has apologized for Facebook on a couple of occasions for his lack of um, oversight. And he made those apologies to Congress. Um, so that's very much on our radar. I remember when Facebook started and I didn't really know what it was. And so in that I'll call it the news feed, but you know, just you go into Facebook and then all of your friends posts appear. I thought they were messages to me personally. <laughs> and I didn't understand why everybody wanted me to know what they had for lunch. Because <laughs> back in the day when people would take photos of their lunch and be like, this is delicious. I'm so healthy. <laughs> um, and I was, I really just had such big issues uh, around it. And since then, and I've quit using Facebook. I have an account. It, basically a Rolodex, a digital Rolodex for me to get in touch with people from the third grade if I need to. Um, Do we need to explain what a Rolodex it, is? Yeah, yeah, listen to us. This is where I'm so... <laughs> listen, I, I all know. the cool kids have Rolodexes now. We're all going <laughs> did, back Did Rolodexes come before or after Filofaxes? I think Rolodex is the American version of Filofax, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to say yes, because I've never heard of Filofax. Yeah. Very similar. Oh, okay. Okay, so a file, <laughs> this is what we call a tangent. <laughs> so I thought a Rolodex was one of those things that sits on a, a desk of an, an office yeah, worker is. and it flips around, whereas a file of facts is like a book a with book. individual pages and contacts in. Oh, see, and I would call that book a Rolodex. <laughs> Everything would just an be a Rolodex. An address book. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Like Kleenex or Google. Okay. It, just well, it a, sounds like we've all learned something, if nothing yeah, else. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> so for as far as Facebook goes, the um, in my opinion, my, my feminist opinion, the uh, whole initial idea of Facebook, which is a, a tool for rating the attractiveness of women, basically, at whatever university it was, is, yeah. is heinous to start with. And it's only gone downhill from there. So I, that's why I said that Facebook should apologize for existing. It's just been a bad idea from the start, and it's only gotten progressively worse. Totally. I mean, the whole name, Facebook, right? Yeah. It, it was the pre-hot or not. Um, and so, you know, hey, yeah, he's made um, tons of money off of it. Good for him. But it didn't start in a, what in the 21st century, you would say it was a good place. Yeah, I think it's not enough to make tons of money for something. That's not an excuse. It's not a it's not a good thing in itself to be rich, which I think in America is is the no, idea. If you're rich, you're obviously a good person. Look at Elon Musk and everyone else who's a billionaire. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Are there things that just simply cannot be apologized for? Yes. Uh, now, I think a good, that's a great question. And my answer to that is always Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yes, there are, there are things that, uh, that can't be apologized for. However, 99.9% .9 of humanity won't make those sorts of errors. But I, I think there are things that, uh, can't be apologized for. Um, for instance, uh, men who have two families. <laughs> 
what an interesting you know, example. <laughs> super fan- well, I want to go away from Nazis, right? And so I wanted something that was more fun. And, okay. And <laughs> I was thinking you know, child just abuse, a, you know. Just just talk us through that a little bit then, Theo, if you can. <laughs> Men that have two families. You're talking about bigamists? Sure. Well, um, so I'm talking about secret bigamy, right? Where there are two women who both believe that they are married to the same man and they have children with that man. And that man just has a job where he travels a lot. Um, I'm not going to say that that's super common, but it's, it's not unheard of, right? As a matter of fact, um, there's a show called uh, My Favorite Murder and uh, it's very, very, very popular in the States. And, oh yeah. What did I say? Show. Show okay, yeah. Um, well, I'd like to make everything bigger than it is, you know. So <laughs> it's, a it's a Broadway show. It is a no, show. So as um, specifying, they they take open letters from people, and they've gotten so many. Oh, there was a secret family letters that they just don't even do them because it's like one out of every five hundred people discovers their dad had a second family. But I mean, just kind of getting back to your question, Wendy, are there some things that? that can't be apologized for. I don't know how I would accept an apology from somebody who was like, yeah, I'm sorry about Clarice and uh, little Oliver over there and that you didn't know about them. Uh, I've got this other family and I'm sorry that that <laughs> happened. You know, uh, yeah, you can't really make up for that. So that's a no. tough one. I but I mean, the- you know, and it, it, it kind of flippantly throughout Nazis, um, I would say I have seen apologies from people who were neo-Nazis and I feel like, oh, okay, yeah, actually you are working to overcome hate and you are speaking out about your experience and there is some value in that and you have changed your, so yeah, that's an apology that I, I would rate highly. Um, it's hard for me sometimes to separate out a person's apology from the actions, right? And so the actions may be really bad. And when I'm rating their apology, I'm not necessarily only rating the apology. I'm sometimes rating what they did. And I'm still stuck on, oh, that really sucked. Mm-hmm. Your apology is great. And you've made reparations and and you've done all this really good work. But what you did sucks so bad that like I can't even think about apolo- accepting an apology from you. But how does that work in a an institutional case? Uh, for instance, the Catholic Church. Well, we're still waiting to find uh, out. Right. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, no yeah, apology. this could be a whole series or season. Whole but um, I think in one of your episodes, you say that I don't know if it's really the Pope himself or the Catholic Church basically owes the entire world one giant apology. Yes. But are institutional apologies equally human as those that come from individuals? Can they be? Which is something that we have danced around on our podcast. I was going to say show, but I caught myself. Um we did one where Stanford University apologized to a number of uh, medical students who um, are residents. They're almost doctors and they didn't get vaccinated for COVID. But I think there was plenty of vaccine available yeah. for them to have to have given. I mean, this was a while back. And so the uh, Stanford Hospital, Stanford University apologized to these medical students. Now, not my place to accept or you know, deny the apology on behalf of the residents. But I would say, 
have felt a little lacking, right? And so where we sort of came down on, and this is the only institutional one I, I remember, where we sort of came down to it was institutions are uh, made up of people. And so it really sort of comes down to who is the driver of that apology. Oh, the APA. Remember when we yeah. did the American Psychological Association? We gave that. We we recently did a, I think our last episode was an awards episode where we gave ourselves and, and other um, and episodes of awards. awards. <laughs> and one of the awards we gave was the highest price paid to an apology writer award, um, which went to the APA uh, um, episode, which is number 14. And that was really just a, a long, well-written apology that probably was going to change nothing. Uh, and, and my experience with the APA is just that it's such a large organization that that uh, it's, it's really impossible for it to make a, a meaningful apology. And I think it matters what the organization is. And as Theo said, who's behind the apology as to whether that apology can, can be accepted. So we didn't accept the APA apology. Let, right. let me ask you, what, what, living, what living historical figure, still alive, should apologize for their actions, but you suspect never will? Other than Donald Trump. <laughs> That's the obvious just answer. Head, just heading you off before you said it. Wow. Thinking. That is such a great question. Living historical figure. That could be anyone. That could be an entertainer. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I Bill mean, Clinton should apologize to Monica. I know we talked about that a little bit, but he never mm -hmm. apologized to Monica Lewinsky. And I think he should, although she no longer wants an apology. It shows what a better person she is than him. But um, I think he should apologize to her for what he put her through. Yeah. And I'm that's, that's go kind of a the, minor one, but go ahead, Theo. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I, I actually, I think that is a really good one because um, he is never going to apologize for no. uh, his actions to Monica Lewinsky. And in my opinion, it's because he doesn't think he did anything wrong um, and cool. But I mean, talk about somebody who, who could teach us all a lesson in humility and growth. I mean, um, she went through hell and definitely deserves a real apology from Bill Clinton. And I'm a Clinton fan because I'm a political lefty. Um, what were you going to say? Hate, you had an idea. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I hate to say the Pope because we were just talking about him and it sounds like, oh, Theo, you have a memory of a goldfish and you can <laughs> only go back like one minute. But I really do think that the Pope... Um, could do a lot of good in the, which is kind of his job, right? Cause he's the Pope. Um, he, if he apologized for the church's um, actions around uh, the anything. indigenous schools of Canada, well, anything, yeah. right. <laughs> but also in, in particular, the hiding of uh, pedophile priests for yeah. decades and decades and decades and decades. Right. And I, I recognize it was not this current Pope who was responsible for what happened in 1950 or 1930, or even, you know, but at a certain point, um, yeah, you know, just say you're sorry and and show that, like, I don't know what you would show at that point, because I'm not the Pope. But if I was, um, I would apologize person. and try and do some good in the world. Yeah. I uh, also think the government, the American government should apologize to Kevin Day for um, <laughs> for one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> 
I love this one. Uh, episode 47 was UFOs, the truth is out there. And Kevin Day was a radar operator who was um, just doing his job and saw some unidentified things in the yeah. sky and reported it to the to the, um, the appropriate, you know, wherever he's supposed to report it to and was endlessly mocked by uh, government people in the government uh, and it has asked for an apology, but has not received one. It will never receive one. Um, but that's one of my favorite topics. I actually wrote my master's thesis on things like UFOs and whatnot. That, so, that was um, a good. That I, was a good episode, actually. I really enjoyed. Thank that you. One. Okay, thank so you. Um, I guess the last question, really, and perhaps maybe a little too deep and heavy to end on. But do you think an apology means more when it's given by somebody who's on their deathbed? I do. Okay, that it was an easy go-to for me. Um, not because I've received so many deathbed apologies, but I just feel like that's your last moment of life. And with your last breath, you're going to say this thing. Now, sort of the question would be, why are you making this apology? You're just saying why? it to get into heaven, Theo. <laughs> exactly. That is right where I was going. You took that horse out of the stable and to the finish line before I had the saddle on it. Um, I think it's I think it's useless if you're on your deathbed. You should have made that apology earlier. That's my heartless opinion. Oh, boo. <laughs> Remind me not to call you with my last breath. That's I'm right. Sorry. I won't believe you. <laughs> I'm sorry I booed you. <laughs> Well, I'm very sorry, but we're out of time. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been really fun. I really appreciate your time. This has been great. Okay. Thank you to Julia and Theo for the conversation about the concept of apologies and the controversy that often goes along with some acts of apologizing or at least the failure to do so. Yeah, it's an interesting focal point for a podcast and we wish them all the best as they approach their 100th episode. Surely there's no shortage of apologies for them to examine, and I hope they decide to venture into some of the cultural differences related to apologies. Yeah, I agree. So you can find Apologies Accepted online at apologiesaccepted.net, and they're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we've put the links in the show notes for this episode of Metapod. So the end of 2021 is quickly approaching and we've got an extra episode of Metapod lined up to close the year out, haven't we, Wendy? Yes, we do. It's an extra special episode and we host and guest Meta Metapod. Yes. <laughs> Imagine that. So it is something like that. That was the plan anyway. So, uh, so stay tuned for our extra special 2021 year-end episode of Metapod coming Wednesday December the 29th. Exciting. Okay, thanks for listening to Metapod this week, and happy holidays. Indeed. Merry Christmas, everyone, and we'll see you next time. That's it for Metapod this time. Thanks for listening. Metapod will be back soon with another unpacking of the web's most interesting podcasts. But in the meantime, make sure to subscribe at any of the usual places you find your other favourite podcasts. We'd hate for you to miss upcoming episodes, and we'd love it if you left us a review. You can let us know what you think of this episode by going to metapodshow.com. We'll see you next time. Metapod is produced by Wendy Morrill and Kevin May.